Good morning, everyone. Very good, Arab Shabbat. This week's uh, Parsha of Ayeshev has the great plot of the story of Yosef and his brothers and how Yosef is sold into Egypt and what occurs to him there. But in the middle of that story, there's a subplot that the Torah describes to us. And that's the story of Yehuda and Tamar, which is a uh, strange story, to put it mildly. And the Torah introduces the story by saying, Vayered Yehuda mitochechov. We are witnessing the decline of Yehuda. And we will see by Yaakov Avinu, when he blesses Yehuda, he says, Miteresh b'ni alita. You were raised, you went up. And here we say he declines. So this is the story of Yehuda, the decline of Yehuda, and it is uh, being restored to greatness, and Yaakov will give him uh, Malchus, the aristocracy of the Jewish people, from him come the kingdom of David and David's descendants, the entire future of the Jewish people. And in fact, we would say today that the vast majority of the Jewish people today are from Shevet Yehuda. Some are from Shevet Levi, the Leviim and the Kohanim. And according to many traditions, there are smatterings of all of the other tribes that exist within us as well. But the Rove Minyan and Rove Binyan of Klal Yisrael, the majority of people, and certainly of the leadership of the Jewish people, come from Yehuda. And uh, because of that, the Torah concentrates on this story, tells us this subplot, which, uh, on the surface at least, does not give much credit to Yehuda and his behavior. So it says, He went down. Rashi points out, The other brothers had less of an opinion of him now. They did not feel that they were bound to listen to him. Because what happened before was that Ruvain was out of the picture, but Ruvain wanted to save Yosef and bring him home. 
and he tries a subterfuge uh, to save him, uh, throw him in the pit, and he's going to come back and save him. Shimon and Levi want to kill him. And Yehuda takes a uh, compromised position here. Yehuda says, my bets are what advantage is there to kill our brother. We just don't want him around. We don't want him around us. Because he's a disruptive factor in the family. He's a barrier between us and our father. So l'chuvenim karenu. Let's just uh, sell him. And the uh, slave merchants will take him to a far distant country. And uh, we won't have to deal with him. But we will not have shed his blood. We didn't have to kill him. On the surface, uh, Yehuda's advice is sound. It accomplishes many uh, positive things. It gets rid of Yosef as far as the brothers are concerned. He's not home anymore. There's nobody home that he can tell uh, bad things about us. We don't see, we don't have to see that shirt every day flaunted in our eyes. But on the other hand, we're not, uh, how can you kill a brother? So, let us go and sell him. And by selling him, we will accomplish exactly what we want without becoming cruel and murderous. So that was Yehuda's advice. What the brothers never factored in was the grief they would cause to Yaakov. It's unbelievable to us how they didn't think of it. But they thought, you know, the old man will get over it. It's not going to be such a deal. They all tried to console him. And he uh, refused to accept comfort. And he said, I will go to my grave mourning my son. So every day they have to live with Yaakov Avinu's anguish. And after a while, that grates on them. And they don't know what to do because they've told their father a story. His father said, he must have been consumed by a wild animal. They showed him the shirt dipped in the blood of the goat. So what can they do? There they are trapped. 
And in effect, Shimon and Levi said, you know, if we would have killed him, it would have been better. Because Xerahi, it's a decree of heaven that eventually those who depart from us are forgotten. We are able to live with the fact that beloved ones pass away. And we're able to have comfort and continue in our lives. The reason that Yaakov Avinu cannot continue is because he's alive. He's not dead. We don't know where he is. We don't know what happened to him. But we have no evidence that he's dead. And therefore, that's why Yaakov mourns the fact that he's not here. And there's no way that we can comfort him. And therefore, we are living on edge constantly. Because we have to witness our father's pain. So somehow they did not factor that into the decision. And after a while, therefore... They thought it over and they said, you know, that advice of Yehuda was not so great. If we would have let him alone, maybe Ruvain would have come back and saved him. Who knows what would have happened there. But the advice that Yehuda gave, that has turned out to be sour. And therefore, Horiduhu Migduloso. They no longer saw Yehuda as the head of the brothers. They no longer saw him as the main person. And Yehuda felt that. All of this is in the Chumash and in the Medrash. It's obvious from the story. He feels the distance between him and his brothers. That somehow he is more culpable than they are in this story. And so therefore he leaves the brothers. He goes his own way. Now, it's one thing, you know, uh, to leave. To leave the house of Yaakov. He's leaving the kolel, right? He's leaving the house of Yaakov. He's leaving the brothers. He's leaving that whole environment. Vayet ad ish adulomi. And he ends up in a non-Jewish neighborhood with people who are idol worshippers and pagans. The people who are immoral. And he has a good friend there. Someone that he trusts implicitly. 
So to a certain extent, he becomes now integrated into that society. He's no longer uh, the head of uh, the the uh, brothers. He's no longer the chief son of Yaakov. He's, uh, you know, Mr. Judah. And therefore, it becomes understandable, the Medrash says, this strange story. He is visited with tragedy. His two sons die. And his sons were not what he wanted them to be. There was a uh, streak of immorality in them and their behavior. And he's stuck with a a daughter-in-law that somehow he feels responsible for, but he doesn't want to keep her in the family to marry her off to his third son because he thinks that she's the killer. That they died not because of their sin, but they died somehow because of her. So now Yehuda, I mean, you look at the decline of Yehuda, uh, the Torah does it in a few words, but we're talking, if you look at the story, he, he goes from the pinnacle of being the head of the brothers. So to speak, the God Lador, the greatest one, and they all do what he says. And he goes to being isolated, alone, in a strange alien environment, with great personal tragedies and with a burden of a woman that he doesn't know what to do with her. So that's Vayered. He went down. Life has uh, lowered him. As oftentimes it does to many, many human beings. People think that they're, you know, they're on top of the world and then uh, all of a sudden they realize that the world has turned around. His wife dies. He's alone. He's still a uh, strong, basically young person. He looks for an outlet. And because he lives now in this society, he's no longer in the house of Yaakov. So he does not have the constraints of the house of Yaakov upon him either. And the Torah describes this. This is all part of his descent. All part of the fact that Yehud uh, Yehudah is going down. 
So he uh, he has his friend uh, with him, and they look to find the harlot, a woman that'll satisfy him at least temporarily. The daughter-in-law Tamar is very aware of the situation. And she uh, somehow has a dream. It's all about dreams in these parishes. Meaning that's their ambition. That's what they uh, see their role in life to be. Her dream is that she's going to be the mother of children that will help build this special people and be attached to the house of Yaakov Avinu and be the heirs of Yaakov. But she sees that Yehuda doesn't see her that way. Yehuda, so to speak, is afraid of her because uh, anybody that she touches dies. She's bad luck. So therefore she disguises herself as the harlot And she awaits him. She knows he's going to come. And uh, she negotiates with him the price. And he lives with her. They have intimacy. And she becomes pregnant from him. So in that, she is now realizing what she felt her future would be. Because she was going to bear the children of Yehuda, and therefore the grandchildren of Yaakov Avinu. And now she's part of this eternal chain uh, that she dreamt about, and that she saw herself as being a fitting member of that family. So she uh, asks a high price. She wants uh, a sheep. In the ancient world, a sheep was worth a lot of money. So uh, the Medrash points out that was far more than an ordinary uh, woman of the street would dare ask. And he doesn't have a sheep with him, you know. He doesn't walk around with a sheep in his pocket. But somehow he is so uh, dominated by his desire that he agrees to it. She... uh, says, uh, well, I need, to, I need uh, you know, collateral. You're going to owe me. You don't have the sheep. How do I know you're going to bring me a sheep later? After it's over, you don't care? So they come to an agreement that she takes 
his uh, seal. Now, in the ancient world, even in the medieval world, even in today's world, there's such a thing as a seal, which is more than a signature. Here in Israel, uh, you all know a chotemet, right? You can't get the prescription unless there's a chotemet on it. It's, uh, it's an official identity. It's a status. And uh, in halacha, it bears great uh, weight. All of us know the Talmud in Gitten that the witnesses have to say, it was signed in front of me and sealed in front of me. So she gets his seal. And vapsilim, and she gets, now what are the psilim? Different interpretations. But uh, again, uh, whatever the interpretation is, whether it be uh, uh, a necklace, or whether there were strings, or they were also items of value and of identity. That's what she is asking for. She's asking for identity here. She could ask for uh, a a staff or something. That's not identity. Everybody's got that. But she's asking for something personal. Everybody has their own seal. They don't have somebody else's seal. And the same thing with the feeling. And they consummate the uh, action and she becomes pregnant and uh, Yehuda leaves. And apparently he leaves without regret. We don't see anything yet. This is still all still part of the story of his descent, of his going down. After a few months, she is visibly pregnant. And so... Uh, they thought that she had... Uh, uh, committed, uh, it's a form of adultery because she's next in line to get married to Shayla. And therefore, they condemn her to death, the best of the time. And uh, she is being led to uh, the place of execution. And she says, Hakerno. Uh, Look at the uh, seal that I have. Look at the feeling that I have. That's the father of these children. 
This is the beginning of the ascent of Yehuda. Because now he is faced with the main decision of his life. Because he will be believed over what she says. You know, he'll say, she forged the seal. Those are not my sealing. Or he can say she had other men. You see, she's immoral. So well, why is it me? Now, she said, no. Recognize, look at it. That's the same word that was used by the brothers to Yaakov Avinu. When they showed him the shirt, the tunic of Yosef. So they also said, Hakerno. And Yehuda hears the echo of that for the first time. I said, Hakerno. Now she says, Hakerno. And it's the beginning of the realization that somehow, at least as far as Yehuda was concerned, uh, they were on the wrong track with Joseph. That in heaven, because uh, the words are not accidental. And she says, Hakir no, and we said, Hakir no. So somehow something is going on here. And therefore he, to his great credit, but that enormous personal sacrifice, imagine to get up in front of the entire court and say the defendant is innocent. To me, Kitsodko Mimeni. So the simple explanation is Kitsodko Mimeni. She is more righteous than I am in her claim. But Kitsodko, she's right, Mimeni, because it's for me. I'm the one that did it. And now, Yehuda is completely exposed. The Torah will tell us that in a similar situation of temptation, Yosef uh, is able to resist. He leaves his shirt with Potiphar's wife, and he runs outside, which will lead him to all sorts of problems. But he resists, and therefore he will be called Yosef Atzadik. You'll be called the righteous one. Whatever we call Yehuda, we don't call him Atzadik. 
But the greatness of Yehuda is his ability to admit. To think it over. To say maybe it was wrong. Maybe heaven is telling me something here. One of the most difficult things in life is for a person to say I was wrong. Or I'm the guilty party. And the other person is right. Chazal say that by a dispute, a din Torah, so as far as the judge is concerned, both parties are rishoyim. Both parties are evil. They're both guilty. They're both cheaters. Which is usually the case, by the way. But if they accept the din, if they accept what the judgment is, and therefore they are willing to abide by that, so then they are both judged to be tzaddikim. Because it's very hard to accept the din when it's against you. We see that played out and tragically over and over again in Jewish life. People go to a Bezdin and Bezdin decides, hey, and then they didn't like it, so they, he goes to another Bezdin, he goes to court, he goes there. People don't accept it. It's not just the money, it's the ego. How could it be that I'm wrong? So the beginning of the ascent of Yehuda from the depths of where he has fallen is this admittance. Because now that he admitted that he was wrong on this issue, in his mind the door is open that maybe they were wrong regarding Yosef also. And therefore they will say later, We are guilty of what we did to our brother. And that's why Yehuda will stand up to Yosef when the, the question of Binyomin arises. And he say, I will not again stand by idly and offer, he could offer the compromise of Binyomin too. Cop a plea. Take a smaller punishment. No. Yeah, no, not anymore. I cannot stand what we did to our father. We will not do it to him again. We're wrong. We were wrong. So when Yaakov Avinu comes to bless the tribes... He says to Yehuda, Your brothers will admire you. You're going to be, again, the top one. You went up. You ascended from the low point of your life. The sale of Yosef, the story of Tomar, all of that. All the 
terrible events that befell you on the way down. Now, Meterev B'ni Olisa, you've come up again. You've restored yourself. And therefore, you will be the one that is the leader of the Jewish people and the Jewish people will call themselves on your name. So the important lesson here, and that's why the subplot appears here in the middle, is that there are many factors in life that determine how a person behaves and what a person's true identity is. And that people are always put to tests. And the fact that you failed once doesn't mean that you should fail twice. There are people who don't realize that. Who once they fall on a descent, remain there. Never go back again. I knew a Jew in Muncie that uh, was an enormously wealthy man. I once had a conversation with him. Was a very, he was a very interesting person. And he told me that he went bankrupt three times. Before the fourth time, he was successful. So I said, well, what drove you to, you know, if you fail three times, so then you think that you think that's it, right? That's not for me anymore. But people, uh, people have a uh, resiliency within themselves to rise from uh, failure to success. I mean, what did, uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But that's not the way most people deal with life. And therefore, once they fall, they fall. And that's what the wife of Homan told him. If you started to fall, don't fall people, you're going to fall all the way. There's no way back. Well, if that's what you believe, so as you look at the descendants of Yehuda, the Jewish people, uh, we have fallen so many times. You get up and do it again. Shlomo Melech said, Sheva Yipol Tzadik Vokom. The righteous person falls seven times, but he gets up. Try it again. We'll rebuild it. That's what happened to us in our generations. The other nations would never have survived to rebuild anything after what happened to us in the 20th century. So that's Miterev B'ni Olisa. You went up from the low point. You went up from the destruction.
Therefore, atol yoducha achecha. You're restored to greatness. You're the leader of the people. The Torah implants that within us in the midst of this story to teach us this lesson of eternal resilience. Not to be able to give up. And therefore Yehuda becomes our role model and we are named after him Yehudim. And that's what uh, the wife of Solomon said, Yehudim He's from Yehuda, from Binyamin. And you're not going to be able to keep them down forever. They're indestructible. That is an enormous lesson for us. That's Maseova Simon Labonim. And uh, we should persevere with it throughout our entire existence. I want to wish you all a happy Hanukkah that's coming. And uh, next Friday we will have a shear. Maybe devoted to Hanukkah, we'll see. Thank you all for coming and Shabbat Shalom. Thank <laughs> you.